0: He prays for the eyes, the insight of our heart. The way the Bible uses these terms is that they're not separable, really. And when he says that prays that the eyes of our heart, he's talking about our mind and insight and will and emotion. We're emotional beings. God created us this way. So, mind, emotion, will, it's all what the Scripture calls our inner man. And he's praying that we really grasp, not just intellectually, not just emotionally, but that it would grab our heart, the kind of the seat of our life that would in turn, change the way we live and think and prioritize and everything else about us. I pray that the eyes of your heart
1: might be enlightened. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, What We Should Pray For. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Give thanks,
0: he says. I don't cease giving thanks. In fact, when you stop and put those two words together, cease or not ceasing and giving thanks, this is what the Bible tells us to do, period, doesn't it? In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And in fact, Paul in this epistle is going to command this. He says in chapter 5 that an earmark of a spirit-filled or a spirit-controlled Christian is that they give thanks for all things at all times. So let me encourage you to salt your prayer life with thanksgiving all the time. Paul said to and he's going to tell us to specifically up in chapter 5, verse 20, I was just quoting. But now he's modeling that. And I say, uh, if you see people that are doing well, give thanks. But if you say, well, there, some of them aren't doing well, though. Some of them I can't say, you know, I've witnessed to people and I don't see a faith. I don't see a love. Well, for this reason flows right on the heels of 202 words also. And you can always go back and give Thanks for what God has done and who God is. And ultimately, Paul knew plenty of that because, you know, it wasn't all easy in Ephesus. Remember the riot? Remember when Paul was facing? And lots of times, Paul had a life just like ours. He didn't see just victory, 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 and every every church wasn't the Ephesian church, that's for sure. And some places, there was much more opposition than there was reception. But I believe we should give thanks anyway. In fact, I know we should because he says not to ever cease giving thanks. And he didn't. He was giving thanks. But in this case, he had good reason to give thanks. And uh, now let's notice what he prayed for. While making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. I remember, this is what we call a prison epistle. Paul's writing from prison. You check the prayers of the prisoner Paul out and you won't find prayer for physical things. I am humbled by that because I'm afraid I spend too much time already praying for physical stuff. And I've already got so much, and I'm in good health, and I've got my freedom, and nobody's persecuting me. I can proclaim Christ freely. Paul's in prison, and the tone, the warp, and the woof of his prayer life is for spiritual things. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for physical things. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus said, to pray. And I think we should pray about everything But even if you look at the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew 6, I was just quoting verse 11. If you look at the prayer, the emphasis is not, give me that daily bread, give me that raisin pay, give me that newer car, give me that bigger house, give me that longer vacation, give me a better deal in the union contract. That's not the emphasis of prayers of Scripture. We can pray about everything, but we should pray like the Scripture models for us, and Paul prays here for spiritual things. In fact, if I were to parallel verse 17 to the end, and I want to remind you of this, verse 23, and we'll take a second look at it next week in more detail, but you've got a parallel here between what he's already said we have in Christ. I pray that they would know what they have in Christ. That's what he's praying. He's praying that there would be, notice how he puts it, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. He's not praying that the Lord would give His Holy Spirit to them. Don't, don't misunderstand Him. He's already said, We have been given the Holy Spirit. At the moment you heard and believed, you were sealed in him, and he was given as a pledge, a down payment. He's not praying. When he says a spirit of wisdom and revelation, it's not capitalized here in the English, and it ought not to be. It's not the Holy Spirit he's talking about. And he's not really talking about the human spirit either. I think it's best to see it as he's saying, like we would use the language, just the way it reads, give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Somebody uh, translated it really, but paraphrased it, that the Holy Spirit would so work on our spirit that we would have a disposition and an ability and an attitude of knowing what we have. That's what he's praying for. A spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Theologians would call this illumination. That the Holy Spirit would take the things of Christ and open them up for us. That we would have a spirit of knowledge of Him and wisdom and revelation. That we would grasp what He's just read. Because it's true, Ephesians 1 is true of every person in Christ. But many, many Christians never even read Ephesians 1. Let alone really bask in it. And all of us would say, oh, Lord, open my eyes that I'd really see what I've got here when you start spelling it out for me. And that's what Paul prays. And that's how we should pray, I believe, and what we should pray for one another. It's a tone of our prayer life. And I'll tell you, it's exciting. When the Lord gives a spirit of wisdom and revelation, there's both a hunger and there's insight. When the Holy Spirit illumines, when He enlightens And we're going to see that word, actually, down in the start of verse 18, when he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. When he illumines things, it's so exciting. When you start to realize that's what Christian growth is made up of, that's what it's really all about. Recently, I was talking with a young man, and he told me as we were walking downtown after we'd been at DBC together, he said, I just can't get enough of this book now. And two or three times in our conversation, because we had lunch afterwards, he said, "Ah, man, if you'd have talked to me a while back, it would have been not this way at all. I said, I know. But I, I also knew what was going on. I can't get enough of this. That's the appetite that God puts. And pray that. Pray that for me. I pray that for you. Pray that for your kids. Pray for that blessed, I think of it often, in fact, I use this language in my prayer, that Blessed hunger, that hunger, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, God, make my children those who hunger and thirst after you. What a great prayer to pray for those in your Bible study, for this congregation, that we would not be casual and just splashing around in a wealth of stuff, but saying, I still want some more somewhere, Where's and wandering around looking, just that we would hunger for knowledge of what we really have, feeding on Christ. I was talking to a gal who's going to be baptized, and, you know, I, I enjoy hearing what God does in lives, and she said to me, the Bible now, I can understand it. And I thought, you know, she was talking about her conversion, but also what's happened since then. It's become a new book. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that the Lord would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. You show me a Christian of verse 17. Look at it again. A Christian who desires that spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, you show me a Christian where God is giving them a heart And a desire and a spirit of wisdom and a revelation. And I'll show you a happy, fruitful Christian. And I'll show you a Christian who's a Bible student. Because notice, give to them a spirit of wisdom, insight into what really matters, and revelation. You'll find it in the Bible. That's why. A huge part of the lavished grace on us, look back at verse 9, remember verse 8, he lavished all this upon us in the form of all wisdom and insight. One of the great blessings of being in Christ is that we don't have to puzzle about what's really important. We don't have to puzzle about what life is all about. He's told us. He said, from all eternity I've planned, and I'm going to bring it to pass throughout all eternity... And I'm going to sum up everything. There's going to be a large umbrella over all of history that will point every eye to Jesus Christ. I'm going to sum up everything in Him. And you're in Christ, and you're a fellow heir with Him. And I've lavished my grace upon you, and part of that lavishing is that He gave us this wisdom and insight. We're not making this stuff up. We don't have to go discover it. He wrote it down for us. And He says, I pray that you'd have a spirit of wisdom... And Revelation, You show me a Christian who has that spirit, and I'll show you a Bible student. I mean it. I'm not saying a Bible student going to school. I'm not saying a Bible student that does it the way you might have conjured up in your mind, you know, that is always outlining things and studying Greek words. I'm telling you someone who's in love with the Word of God, who enjoys it, who reads it, who rereads it, who feasts on God's Word because that's where Revelation's found who quotes it, who memorizes it, who talks about it. That's the kind of person that Paul is praying they would be, that God would give them that kind of hunger. And by the way, I'll give you a warning. If you start looking for revelation outside of God's revelation, I'll show you a frustrated Christian. I'll show you a Christian that's very gullible and very deceivable. And there are many Christians who are wanting more revelation or wisdom from other sources. That's not the point of his prayer. He just said, look at it. I pray that God would open the eyes of your heart to what I've just written. Take a look at verse 18 now. I pray that, notice it's in italics. It's to kind of help us. Remember that he's praying because he's going to get wound up here. So the translators kind of put that in there. But you could, just, you could just as well say, you know, he says, I'm making mention of you in my prayers, verse 16, and you could just as well replace that I pray with, in other words, you know, he's still explaining what he's praying for us. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The ophthalmos, eyes, of your cardia, your heart. I say the two words because they bring to mind, don't they? Ophthalmology and cardiology. And he combines the two, interestingly enough. Years ago, I remember I was at the ophthalmologist. And he was, you know, they put that laser into your eye. And they're looking at you up close. One of our kids had an eye test recently, and they said, Whoa, what were they doing? You know, the first time you have that light just peering into your eye. But I was talking with the ophthalmologist one time, and he says, I'm checking your pressure. I said, pressure? And he said, yeah, and yeah, we can tell quite a bit about it. even your blood pressure here, and looking at the pl- pressure in your eyes. And he was examining. And so uh, I can't remember even now whether I had good or bad pressure, but I remember mentioning it to my cardiologist friend. And I said, hey, he says you can check your blood pressure in your eyeball. And my cardiologist friend said, take your blood pressure with the cuff, will you, Scott? And, you know, that's the way the medicine, (laughs) the world, these disciplines, you know, they kind of divide up a little bit. But I'll tell you what, in in spiritual things, he's drawing a picture here, and he brings ophthalmus right in with cardia. And obviously, he's not talking about our physical eyes or physical heart here, he's talking about the eyes of our heart. You see, knowledge of God is a spiritual matter. He's not praying that we would merely have it all cataloged intellectually. He's not opposing that either, by the way. Nor is He, when He uses the term heart, praying that we just have a big emotional rush about all this. He prays for the eyes, the insight of our heart. And in the ancient world, they didn't make near the distinction between heart and head that we tend to, you know. Just the other day, somebody said, well, they've got it here, but they don't have it here. And, you know, and I know we think that way, and it's helpful to think that way to some extent. But the way the Bible uses these terms is that they're not separable, really. And when he says that praise that the eyes of our heart, he's talking about our mind. In fact, mind and heart are really hard to divide in scripture and insight and will and emotion. We're emotional beings. God created us this way, so mind, emotion, will, it's all what the scripture calls our inner man. And he's praying that we'd really grasp, not just intellectually, not just emotionally, but that it would grab our heart, the, kind of the seat of our life that would in turn change the way we live and think and prioritize and everything else about us. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. You might as well read illumined. In fact, if you are familiar with the illumination, it's good to kind of swap those terms in your mind. And the Scripture does, by the way, that even the translators do. You'll find this word going both ways. But they both mean the same thing. And we were talking about it in Revelation 1. Jesus Christ's eyes, God's eyes, are like a flame of fire. They need no outside light source. They are absolutely able. But we, our eyesight is dependent on light. You put us in complete darkness, we're not going to see anything. God sees everything because His lies, it's like they're internally lit and now, he's the source of enlightenment. We need to have light shown on things. We need to say to him when we get up in the morning, Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your word. And he'll do that. He'll enlighten our eyes so that we can understand and grasp all that we have in Christ. Now, let me just... Uh, comment very briefly. Verse 18 is uh, so important to see, and it'll be like the introduction really to what we'll see next time, but I would encourage you to be reading this and really look at what He wants us to know, and we'll look at it in more detail. But I'll point out right away that He's not talking about the natural man here. If you're here without Christ, the Bible calls you a natural man. Uh, You need to be reborn. You've been born naturally. We were all born into Adam, and we all inherited his kind of life, death life. We need to be reborn into Christ by His Holy Spirit. We need His life. And when we're reborn, we become spiritual. And the eyes of our heart then can be enlightened. And that is really what spiritual growth is all about, the knowledge of Him. But if you're here without Christ, first of all, you need to come to Christ. And he's not praying here for non-Christians. And by the way, I'm, I'm reminded of this, that Jesus said, I don't ask on behalf of the world. I ask on behalf of those you've given me out of the world. And the apostle follows suit here. And most of our prayer life, and I say this, I don't want to be misunderstood, most of our prayer life should be focused on the saints. You'll look a long time in Scripture to find long lists of unsaved people being prayed for and that sort of thing. Now, the heart that prays for the lost, don't misunderstand me. I believe it's God's heart. But our prayer should be that Christians, as we understand what we have in Christ, more people will come to Christ. We'll be more effective. We'll bear more fruit. And so pray for Christians and pray specifically, notice... Look at the last phrase of verse 17, the knowledge of Him. This is Christian growth. Turn over to chapter 4. Just glance ahead with me. Chapter 4, verse 13. I mean, this is the definition, really, of Christian growth. Until we all attain, verse 13, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He says we're building up the body of Christ until we attain to what? The knowledge of Christ. That's why Paul said, oh, I want to know him. That's why Daniel said the people who know their God, those are the ones who will display strength and take action. The great need in my life is to know him. And so when we pray for one another, pray that we'd really know Christ. And we do so then with humility and dependence. And when we come to the Word, it isn't just an intellectual exercise. It's that. Apply yourself. Study. Outline. Dig in. Do whatever helps. Because, you see, He's not divorcing the heart from the mind or the, either of them from the emotions. He's simply combining all these things says that we'd grasp this, that we'd know. And so you watch... And listen to His language that we might know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance, what is the surpassing greatness of His power. How are we going to know these things? As we open up God's Word, as we spend time in God's Word, as God's Word is opened in public settings where it's taught, that's how we'll know these things. But ultimately, when the Holy Spirit uses all these activities to in Lumen or enlighten the eyes of our heart. What should you pray for? I really believe this is what we should pray for. Oh, pray for your daily needs. Give us this day. It's good every meal, I think. I mean, every meal I see in the scripture, that's what they tended to do. It's a reminder. We wouldn't have food if it weren't for him. Pray for everything. But pray for the real, important things the most. Pray for me that the eyes of my heart would be absorbed with and enlightened regarding the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the hope we have in Him. I'll pray that for you. Pray that for one another. Father, when we hear this prayer falling right on the heels of this amazing statement, of what we have in Christ, we're reminded that what we need today is to really understand this, to really let it get a hold of us. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that it won't be a, a mere academic pursuit, but the knowledge of Your Son transforms us, that Your Holy Spirit sheds light on these things that we might be more like Him, that this is how You conform us to the image of Your Son. And so I pray that for each one of us in this room. I pray that You'd open the eyes of our hearts that we might really see and know Jesus Christ and all the riches we have in Him. And we pray in His matchless name. Amen.
1: You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, What We Should Pray For, a message from our study of the book of Ephesians. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or... Mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast.
0: This knowledge of the hope of our calling, the riches of our inheritance, and the power, His great
1: power that's available
0: to us This is spiritual knowledge. This isn't just head knowledge in the way we think of it. It isn't just academics, nor is it emotionalism. It's what the Scripture uses this term, the eyes of your heart. And for in biblical language, the heart spoke of the mind, the will, the emotions, the whole inner man. And it isn't enough to just know data about God, nor are we looking for some sort of a rush. Boy, I just want to work up a... No, it might involve emotions. In fact, it will. God created us as emotional beings. And it will certainly involve intellect in the sense of applying our minds to understand these things. But God wants to capture our mind, our will, our heart, everything. He wants the eyes of our heart
1: to be opened to these things. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Knowing Him. Till then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.